Hey everyone, what's going on? It's another episode of Petty Politics, bringing you the petty. And the politics. It's been a minute, or actually a week. Uh, sorry about that. We are just taking care of a lot of business going on here at the law school. A lot of different events are happening. Uh, and so we are trying to make sure that we can provide you this content, especially at this time when there are so many different events happening, so many different news items to go through. So much tea and so little time. So let's get into it. What are we talking about this week, Brie? Today for Life in the Law, we're talking about Harvard's Black Law Students Association and their connection with the Journal of Racial and Ethnic Justice. Very interesting article that you wrote. Can't wait for you guys to read oh, it. And you're going to check it out. <laughs> we're also talking about black history in the law. We might have a little fun fact section, so stay tuned. So what are we doing for the political today? So this weekend, Trump has been a whirlwind, y'all. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but multiple different news items have been happening, and we're going to try to take a quick second to go through some of the hard-hitting issues. First, all hope is lost. <laughs> Literally and figuratively, because Hope Hicks actually has lost. She's resigned. She's, she's gone. She's gone. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> we're going to talk about the number of people who have lost their security clearances over the past couple of days, including one Jared Kushner. Who's uh, clearly very paranoid about this. We'll get into that later. We're also going to chat about what Bob Mueller has been up to over the past couple of weeks in terms of asking questions, sending out indictments, getting plea deals, and getting everybody shook. Next, we're going to talk about the hashtag never again movement for gun reform following the Parkland incident a couple weeks ago. We were actually in the studio recording when the event was occurring, but we didn't get to bring it up because it was such breaking news. But over the past couple of weeks, we've seen so many new events coming up. Teenage students on the front lines pushing for change and actually leading to significant change. So we're going to talk about what's been going on and actually some of the solutions that are being brought up or not brought up at all by the Congress. What about the petty? I mean, I think it's all petty, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, today we're going to talk about our sister, Stacey Dash. Stacey Dash 2018. <laughs> Never thought I would say it. Never. Actually, she's not going to win, but she is running for Congress. Well, you know what? She might. Anything can happen at this point. So she might win. We're also going to talk about Obama being petty. I just love it. And referencing a certain presidential administration. And I'll give you a hint. It might be the current one. So I like post-administration Obama more than actual presidential Obama. I of like him after I mean, the fact. He's chill. He's always had swag, but of course his regulations and some of the things that he was implementing. Um, they stifle the hustle. You yeah, know. for sure. Syria, et cetera. That was kind of scary. Syria. <laughs> All right, y'all. Let's get started. All right, y'all. So for Life on the Law today, we're going to give you a little bit of black history, a little bit late, albeit. Uh, we wanted to talk about some of the work that's being done here at the law school to try to retrace the history of the Harvard Black Law Students Association. So if you didn't know, this year is the 50th anniversary of the Harvard Black Law Students Association. It was one of the first chapters to be created out of the National Black Law Students Association. Amen. And so it's it's really an exciting event. We're going to have a lot of people coming for the celebration that's going to be in early April. And as a preliminary event, I have been working on some research to try to understand, you know, what 
do we have in terms of a history, in terms of an archive of things that black law students have done here in the past? Uh, currently this year, I am the managing editor of the Journal on Racial and Ethnic Justice, which is actually an offshoot of a publication that was created by the Black Law Students Association back in the 1980s. Um, and so we were able to do some really interesting work. I wrote an article that shows some of the images that we've been able to pick up, and it's going to be in the Harvard Law School record, which is our little student newspaper. Um, and we'll try to put a link inside of the description for this episode so you can take a look at it. But we found some really cool gems that I just wanted to to go over. Back in the 1960s when the Black Law Students Association was actually created, there were very few law students here who were black. There were also very few opportunities for those few black law students here. And so the organization really was created to create a sense of community, to offer professional but also academic support for the students who were here. We were able to pull out documents from the 1980s that showed all of these community resources that people would have. You could you could find the local chicken spot. You could find out where the black churches were, where the best barbershops and beauty salons were. So really the community came together to provide the support that the law school itself wasn't able to provide, mainly because they weren't black and didn't care about these issues. But anyway, we were also able to find some really great connections based on the things that people wrote back then. So people have written articles on the law school about being black at Harvard Law School. And it is kind of unfortunate to recognize that despite the passage of time, despite 50 years, many of the same concerns are still prevalent today. So in our tenure here at the law school, we've been protesting over issues of faculty diversity, about having classes that actually talk about racial justice. And we were looking at documents from what, the 1970s? where people were writing the same exact things, asking for the first black woman professor at Harvard Law School, who was Professor Lonnie Guineer, um, you know, asking for critical race theory to be a, a meaningful addition to our curricula, something that Professor Derrick Bell was able to do back in the 1980s. And so it was just really cool to see all of the ways that this has changed and been developed over time. For sure. I am so happy that someone has done the work to go back and look at the archives and look at our history. And so that's awesome. If you want to know more about the history, definitely check out that article. Very amazing. Also, we wanted to talk about black history in law, kind of a little fun fact section, talk about some of the powerful black individuals who graduated from Harvard Law. And we thought that this was very important because black people were not always allowed to go to law school. Black people were not always able to represent others in the courtroom. And even when black people were able to be admitted into the practice of law, they still had problems finding clientele because no one wanted them to represent them. So to see black people thriving in the law today is very important to us. For example, Loretta Lynch, Attorney General. Mm -hmm. The Obamas. Babe, I love them. Keeping in mind, first, <laughs> real plug. Hello. Michelle Obama was an editor for the journal that I'm a part of now. She actually wrote an article, an edited article for the journal. So I feel like I'm just in the just legacy in of it. Michelle you know, Obama. You know, you are. Ex ex <laughs> for sure. I'm feeling the energy. <laughs> feeling the energy, for Barack sure. Too, of course. He's, yeah, he's okay. I mean, I like when he gets petty, so he's all right. Uh, Charles Hamilton, he Houston. Yes, Charles Hamilton Houston was a former dean of Howard Law School and also the NAACP's first special counsel and litigation director. So he's done a really amazing work and he also has a racial justice institute here at Harvard named after him. The fact that we're in history in the making right now, we just had our first 
black female president of Harvard Law Review after 130 years. Now, there has, first of all, only been a handful of black presidents of the Harvard Law Review, Obama included. And so that was huge. I remember when Amaymay became the president of Harvard Law Review. I was like, that's my neighbor. That's my neighbor. She's <laughs> Just like seeing her walking <laughs> around gonna, campus. Like, no, but you she, are actually. Yes, like, Amaymay, you are walking in such glory. Like and excellence. just, she's so humble and she's so awesome. She's also going into public interest, which is so amazing. After you become the president of Harvard Law Review, you have a lot of open doors within big law. And so the fact that she's going back and doing defender work and such, she's really working for her community, doing that type of work. Amaymay, my hat's off to you. I love you. We can also give a shout out to Michael Thomas, who is the new black Harvard Law Review president following a May May, who was also a black person. It's just amazing that we're Taking seeing. Over. Hashtag black to black. Black to black. You know, Ooh, I like I that like one. <laughs> I feel like it's really important that we're able to celebrate this and that people are recognizing the amazing contributions that we provide to this law school every single year. Being able to celebrate that and recognize that history isn't just in the past, but it's also in the present. And we're making history being here at this institution. Um, it's exciting. And, and it we're, is exciting. We're excited to be able to celebrate that later this year in April when we have our celebration. We're hoping to actually do some coverage of some of the events that are happening there. So stay tuned as well for that. So we hope you enjoyed this blackity black Black History Month. It's just been amazing. Brie still hasn't seen Black Panther, which is the, getting uh, on my nerves. Why are you calling me I'll out on you. the podcast? Why? That was shade. No, that wasn't even shade. That was, <laughs> took away the tree. That was open with Hello. it. Get out of here. Hello. I haven't had the time. I'm pulling the mom card. Mom card. Um, I have a baby, guys. And you know she what? I can't even Shuri. pull that. I can't even she pull that card. Nakia. She saw it. I, that's what I'm saying. I can't even pull that card What's because that? Evelyn went with her baby to see Black Panther. <laughs> I feel like crap. A shame. <laughs> Are you done? Uh, yes, Are I you actually done? am. Thanks, Cam. We're done. <laughs> you even get that reference. Getting into the political. We're going to just hop right in with the no hope segment. Look, the no hope in Washington, but also the no hope hicks. Hope left. <laughs> Hopeless in every every sense of the word. Obama brought the hope and Trump took it away. And that is the truth. Well, he wanted to hang on to it, apparently. Who is Hope Hicks? Hope Hicks. President Trump's communications director and one of his longest serving advisors. Guys, she has been there since day one. She is his day one. So Hope Hicks, a former model, you know Trump loves his models, who joined Trump's campaign in 2016. I'm just going to add in here that she had no experience in politics. She became known as one of the few aides who, quote unquote, understood Trump the most. She's actually one of his allegedly most trusted advisors. And she says in her own words that she was the most powerful person in Washington. So, guys, let's let's just let that sink in. Let's just let that sink in that someone who has no experience in politics, really, she originally was a brand ambassador for Ivanka Trump yep. of some sort was the most powerful person in Washington, D.C., was handling all of the communications from the president of the United States. She did run the administration in many significant ways. She had her hands in many of the decisions that Trump made, many of the speeches, and also the messaging around the policies that have been enacted during the Trump administration. And it's also true that she has been in the news recently, though she kept a pretty low profile, based on her alleged relationship with Rob Porter, who we now know is also gone and is dealing with issues regarding domestic 
domestic violence from his past relationships. So now that all of that is on the table. On February 28th, which I only wanted to recognize as the last day of Black History Month, but we'll just we'll also reference to this with hope. Uh, On Wednesday, she said that she was just leaving the White House. What does Trump do in a in a hopeless administration? A hopeless administration. You know? <laughs> well, I think that he's planning to replace her with Mercedes Schlapp. That's been the go around in DC right now. Mm-hmm. As you know, Schlapp is a Fox News contributor and she actually read <laughs> exactly Communications Director. <laughs> a communications director, a exactly, from Fox News. Hello. Ugh. Hello. Oh my god. Hello. She actually ran the campaign for George W. Bush as well, and she is a political experience at least. <laughs> Great. She's her husband is the chairman of the American Conservative Union, uh, Matt Schlapp. So My that's Lord. what we're dealing with as top runner up for replacement of Hope. But also, I just need to sit here and discuss with you why Hope left. Like, I know that there's been a lot of theories. The reason she gave was not good enough for me. So people are saying, and especially the New York Times is pushing the story that this has been a decision that she was trying to make for a long time and that she felt there was no right time for her to be able to leave the administration and she felt that she had done a lot of great work with tax reform and wanted to move on to other opportunities, which is totally fair given the fact that she never wanted to be in politics. She wanted to run a fashion line with Ivanka and was poached by Trump. So I kind of like I I feel that. Mm -hmm. But also it's like you literally the day before on February 27th We're speaking in a closed-door meeting with the House Intelligence Committee. For eight hours. For eight hours. For eight hours. So what were you talking about? Regardless of if you were thinking about this prior to that meeting, certainly something happened during that meeting that made you think, well, you know what, it's it's the right time to pack these bags and get get out. And it was actually the wrong time for the communications director to step aside. She's saying that this was the most perfect time, but I beg to differ. I think that it was the most imperfect time, considering that we're right smack down in the middle of the Russian investigation. We're right smack down in the middle of Rob Porter and his issue with domestic violence and him not receiving this clearance to serve his duty. We're right smack down in John Kelly, who also commented on Hope Hicks, him being discovered as very unrealistic reliable were right smack down in the middle of the Republicans and Democrats going back and forth about gun control in relation to Parkland and what's going on now. And so this is not the time Hope picks to just step away. Right. They actually canceled all of their briefings and meetings that day because I'm sure they didn't want to have to ask any questions about that. We'll see if later today they might have a press briefing to talk about the fact that their communications director is just gone. It's just gone. Oh, this is a great departure. It's not to mention time. not to mention the fact that she is now the fourth White House communications director to leave the post. Let's go through them because I'm sure you've forgotten all of their names. Sean Spicer. Okay. Uh, I, I hated him. <laughs> How long ago already? <laughs> Matt Dubka or Dubke, okay. I okay. think. Okay. Who was Dubke. right after him. And then actually Sean Spicer came back and then left again <laughs> because okay. again, he was over it. And then Anthony Scaramucci, who was probably the person who had the uh, biggest kind of name yeah. and appeal because he was he kind of overhauled the communication department and was a lot louder and more prevalent in the work that they were doing. Hope Hicks, however, was pretty quiet. She was behind the she scenes. She was. She was never Sarah, interviewed. Right. Sarah Huckabee Sanders was the person who was always at the front giving commentary. And so now that she's gone, we have no clue who's about to be filling in these shoes. Hopefully, Miss Schlapp Mercedes. does not. But I'm sure if she does and then inevitably leaves, I'll have more funny puns to give about her, her on her way out. 
For sure. I mean, Help Hicks apparently was planning to leave for several months now. I'm just waiting for the scandal to come out like about her leaving because she didn't want to be subpoenaed and because she might have spilled some tea in that eight-hour House Intel Committee interview that she had the other day. For sure, for sure. Not to mention also that she had had an interview with Bob Mueller last year. So she's already had the opportunity to mm-hmm. answer questions. Mm-hmm. So Apparently what Hope said must have been tea because, well, firstly, we know that she did admit to telling quote-unquote white lies for Trump right. in the past. And I, I don't know, what are white lies? <laughs> because did you see the hashtag? Hashtag white lies <laughs> What matter? is white li- Alternative facts? Like, what is going on? White lies matter. But they, also, mm. the real tea is after the Intel Committee meeting. Right. Trump went through to talk with Hope Hicks and we're hearing that he actually berated her for what she talked about during the hearing. We're hearing that he said, quote, how could you be so stupid? Now, he is not unaccustomed to berating women. But Hope Hicks, his best friend, his BFF, who was unqualified for her position. Why was she berated, I wonder? It's a good question, good especially question. if she was under oath and likely telling the truth. She wasn't <laughs> right. Like she was. Well, I don't know at this point because several people under oath have been lying. Also true. So also let's true. just keep an eye out for more info on that. So go hope, no hope. Let's also give the shout out to the one political appointee at the Department of the Interior who also resigned, but on different reasons, based on her having birther comments and also anti-Muslim and anti-LGBT conspiracy posts <sighs> on her Facebook. Why are y'all doing this publicly? I am so tired. And, and hope, private. hope Hicks, as the communications director, should have advised against people in the administration making such bad communications. So she clearly wasn't doing her job, but then again, she wasn't even qualified. Also... <laughs> also, speaking of unqualified, uh, unqualified, no security clearance. Well. Lose- <laughs> speaking of, let's just jump right into the security clearance issue. Access denied. Dozens of White House staffers right now, guys, right now are being stripped of their top level security clearance. How do you feel about that? So let's talk <laughs> about why. The, let's talk about the first and most important person who is Jared. No, no, I'm not. No, no, let's not. He is not the most important person, especially in my day. But Jared Kushner. As you all know, Ivanka's husband is one of 30 folks who have lost their top secret security clearance. They are not on the need to know basis anymore. They shouldn't have been in the first place, first of all. And this is why you don't (laughs) you don't bring people into a presidential administration. This is democracy. He just uh, doesn't understand on the basis of the fact that you trust them. This is why he brought in Hope Hicks. Oh, I trust her because she's a brand ambassador. Oh, I trust her. And now, look, nepotism gets you nowhere. These staffers with these pending background checks probably we're not going to pass them at Rob Porter. Uh, We're downgraded to a lower level secret, quote unquote secret, interim security clearance. These people are losing their minds. And especially Jared Kushner. They're actually reporting, talking about the fact that people recognize that he was someone that they could exploit for political gain or financial gain. There's all these articles coming out discussing business dealings, him having meetings with folks at the White House and then miraculously receiving a loan for a new business venture. Mm. There's also reports now that since he has lost his security clearance, he's actually a lot more paranoid about his potential termination at the well, White House. He, first of all, he shouldn't have been hired in the first place. I'm going to keep on emphasizing that. But apparently the White House is saying that this security clearance downgrade of these staff members is part of an attempt to tighten the access to sensitive information, <laughs> Russia, after Wait. it was revealed. <laughs> this is all just too much for me. People are losing their access because they don't want these people having to testify for Bob. Am I able to call him Bob yet? 
<laughs> is he a friend like that? Be like, hey, Bob. Hey, Bob Mil- Miller. Mr. M- Mr. Mueller, if you'd like to come on the podcast and talk a little Please bit about your work. Please, spill the tea. Oh, yes. Greatly appreciate. Oh, yes, all the intel. We should actually talk about some of the stuff that Bob Mueller is doing because he's been hitting it off over the past couple of days with a bunch of new headlines related to the Russia Gate scandal. That includes new charges against Paul Manafort, who is still not budging, even still though— Still trying to plead innocence, sis— Go, let it go. Despite the fact that his second-in-command, Rick Gates, has now pled guilty, guilty and is now cooperating with Bob Mueller on the investigation Spill against the tea. him. Spill the tea. So all, all of that lobbying, all of that lobbying they were doing on behalf of Russia over there in Ukraine, those account, all of that, let it, come on, come on, Gates, come with the tea, because I'm about to talk about it on this podcast. It's about to be really worrisome, <laughs> especially about, for Manafort. Talk about capitalizing off of a situation. <laughs> So we're seeing a lot of new developments coming about, lots of new paperwork being written, talking about these issues and making it pretty clear that Mueller is still moving forward, still investigating and actually expanding the scope of the exactly, investigation. Exactly, expanding because he's been actually looking into other issues. Yeah. For example, he's actually been seeking Trump's finances oh. from when he was running for president or no, from the term before he ran for president. Mm. So maybe saying if he was incentivized at all, if Being he was prepared. influenced. Exactly. Right. And we haven't been able to see Trump's finances. Okay, release some taxes, hon. And mm-hmm. so this is, a, this is a step in the right direction. People are saying he's looking as far back as around 2013 Ooh. when Trump was first thinking about running too. So there's a lot of information that I'm sure his lawyers are sifting through right now. Well, as Trump continues to feel the pressure from Bob Mueller, it's very clear that he's going to continue to turn against people in his own administration, including Jeff Sessions, who he's now mad at because (laughs) Jeff Sessions doesn't want to lead an investigation into Russiagate or into the work that the committees are doing. Instead, he punted that. Knows. Right, of course Fashion he knows. knows. He punted yeah. it instead to the inspector general, who uh, whose role it is to do internal investigation. But of course, because Trump probably doesn't know him, he actually called the inspector general an Obama man, which... What is that? Partisanship. What is that? Uh, so at this point, we don't Democracy. even know what's about to go what's about to go on. But it's it's pretty clear that Mueller is moving forward and is on his heels. Let's just hope that the next person to lose their top level security clearance is Trump. Hands hmm. up. So let's talk about hashtag never again and the tremendous movement that has been developed following the Parkland shooting incident at Stoneman Douglas High School. So Nicholas Cruz was a student who had been expelled from that district who went into this high school with an AR-15 assault rifle and killed 17 people and injured 14 people. Never again. This event sparked a very powerful movement, but also important discourse on gun control. For sure. So these courageous high school students who had just survived a significantly traumatic incident immediately took to political platforms to push for gun control so that they and other students would never have to deal with this issue ever again, hashtag never again, being the name of their movement. Since then, this movement has really built up millions of dollars to push for a significant change at Capitol Hill and within the states where these schools are really vulnerable. They've been pushing for a fit-in, a die-in protest. They actually are planning a march on Capitol Hill to happen later in March, along with schools across the country who are also calling for change to gun reform. This shooter was able to obtain this weapon fairly easily. He passed a background check despite the fact that there were multiple indications that he was a white supremacist, that he was racist and had anti-Muslim viewpoints, and that he 
had shown a propensity to want to attack schools, calling himself he a He actually wannabe. said, right. I want to be a school shooter right. in an online text thread. This was not flagged by anyone, including the other members of this thread, who were also making derogatory remarks towards other ethnic and racial groups. But let's keep in mind that the FBI had access to this information as well. We actually have a report from a neighbor of Cruz saying that she had seen incidents, heard incidents, and made her very concerned. And she spoke with law enforcement about it, them saying, we can't do anything until he does something. So it's very clear that there is a legitimate political regulatory question on how we can change gun laws, how we can change the way that we have law enforcement use their resources to make sure that we catch people and actually restrict access to guns for people who would do significant harm with them. For sure, because they're trying to say that they can't do anything until after something is done. And that only translates to they can't do anything until people are dead. And people's children should not be dying in school. I'm a mom myself, and I can't even imagine going through this with my kid. And I fear for my kid going to school now because I know that something like this could happen. And just for that fear to actually be legitimate because of the inability for lawmakers to focus on the regulatory aspect of gun control, as opposed to individuals, for example, the NRA chief who went on the record to spill about this, complaining that their Second Amendment rights are being taken away. This is nothing to do with your constitutional rights. This has everything to do with protecting people that can be protected with a little bit of changes within the legislative process. And I think this is a really great example of the ideological and corporate capture of Capitol Hill. This is kind of a term that we use within law, especially when it describes how people's actions and choices, even if they go against their personal moral convictions, can be influenced significantly by special interests, that being the NRA. These students have been protesting the NRA in particular, saying that lawmakers are afraid to take action primarily because they receive tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars from the NRA for the work that they do to support the Second Amendment and widespread gun culture in America. They've also been calling for these lawmakers to renounce the NRA and also to not accept or to return the money that they have received That's from the what NRA. they need to do. This is a clear example of how money corrupts Congress right. and how these people, they go into these roles thinking that they're going to make changes on a legislative level, but they're so heavily influenced by money, for example, and they become so self-interested that the interests of the people that they're representing become just jumbled up in all of that mess. And so... Uh, shout out to these students who are on the forefront of this movement. Shout out to these their kids, basically, right. who are going against the head of the NRA. That's awesome. And have been very successful. Dozens yes. of organizations have cut ties with the NRA. The NRA, as a result, has lost multiple discounts for flights, for travel, for hotel All of these different organizations are making significant changes as a result of the calls for change from these students. Walmart, for example, has increased the age uh, required for people to purchase guns and ammunition to 21, something that students are calling for. And even Dick's Sporting Goods, they actually will no longer be selling assault-style rifles. So that's another good thing. So we've seen so much happen already. And I mean, we were both in the same studio a couple months ago talking about the Las Vegas shooting and, and wondering when was change going to be finally made and and at least some change is being made over time and I think with this moment there's been very significant conversations that have been forced in Capitol Hill 
to make significant change, though the solutions that they're offering are actually inadequate. And (laughs) for so many reasons, for example, they're thinking about arming the teachers with guns at this point. Yes, this is a major problem. I can see it now. I can see it now. And black students all over dead because their teachers felt threatened for their lives. Okay? It's something that's been made a joke on Twitter. Like, there are a lot of, like, gifs of, like, there's one meme that I saw where it has a, a picture of people. At, I saw that. Um, you've seen it, right? It's a picture of a bunch of white women holding guns in a shooting class. But the caption is when a student walks into the teacher's lounge without knocking or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, it, it's a joke, but it also is a reality. And it's a commentary on the way that our schools operate. It also mentions the fact that police aren't doing the job that they need to do if teachers are expected to be the ones at the front lines mm-hmm. protecting students with weaponry. I respect the the comments that these schools need to have heightened security, but that has its flaws in itself. Right. Because, again, every time we have a surge in law enforcement, it becomes a disproportionate target of minority students. And so if we do have this heightened security, and for example, if students are being patted down and such before they walk in the building, which students do you think are going to be most targeted and patted down? Absolutely. And so that discretion in itself is probably going to be flawed and problematic, but I think that it might be a better solution than arming these teachers because then we're shifting the discretionary ability to these teachers who then might actually start killing kids. That's I think a reality. I think both options are actually pretty terrible. They're terrible. It's a, pick your poison. Right. Pick your like, poison. Especially with the idea of making schools more militarized or bringing it into a security apparatus. There was one time in middle school where we had to go through metal detectors and I remember that really changing the environment for me. It felt like I was entering into a prison facility having to go through and get patted down when I'm just trying to go to class, right? Like I'm I'm 12, 13 years old and being treated like I am security risk when this is a school that I've been to for well over a year. That isn't even to mention the fact that these school resource officers aren't even doing the things they're supposed to do at Parkland. It, thank you. At Parkland, right. the, the security guard left. What? He wasn't Did he there. Run? Yeah, he didn't go exactly. inside to actually check on what was going on. So it's been in action throughout. That isn't even to mention the fact that teachers themselves are not interested in being encouraged to carry weapons into the classroom. They themselves are concerned about the fact of gun violence because they are also potential targets. In fact, during Parkland, people who are teachers, who are coaches, were also gunned down protecting students. And another issue with that is what if these students who plan to shoot schools and stuff start accessing the guns that are supposed to be given to the teachers? It's It's like, where's the gun control in that? That exacerbates the problems. So it's all around foolery. And there's so much to think about. Especially, I don't know if you've seen the hashtag arm us with movement that was going on on Twitter as well. So teachers were holding up, you know, signs with hashtag arm us with pencils and paper. Arm us with funding so that we can have an after school program or a tutoring program or enough supplies for our schools. Because how are you going to afford to provide weaponry to all of your teachers when they barely have enough resources to be able to survive in the classroom and even outside of the classroom? We have Hello. um, We just had this discussion on budgeting last week. And how are you going to pay for, again, we're giving more money to the NRA, putting more money into guns when we can't even afford right now to have a working and reliable food stamp system. And that's why these teachers right now are going on strike. In West Virginia, yeah. They're like, if you guys can afford to arm all of the teachers in all of these schools, then you might be able to afford 
health care for us. Right. Just affordable health care. Give right. us affordable health care. Absolutely. If you haven't heard much about the story, the entire West Virginia public school system has been shut down over the past couple of days because all of the, all of the teachers are on strike calling for wage increases and also calling for health insurance that can actually allow them to take care of themselves and their children without having to, for example, work fast food restaurants over the weekend to be able to make ends meet. So it's just very clear that education is one issue that still needs to be addressed. See last week's episode. But then Mm -hmm. also gun culture at schools needs to be a conversation that actually is brought to the forefront and isn't treated with solutions that include more guns. Like we had legislators with a straight face saying we should be doing away with gun-free school zones because they actually prevent safety from being like a top priority. I am exhausted. I'm exhausted at that. I'm exhausted. So shout out to all of these students who are doing amazing work. They're leading the revolution and soon they'll be able to vote. So I'm just ready for those votes to Me come too. through. And so we can get these the folks out. kids are the future. The kids are the future. Their kids are all right. I can't wait right. to see what these kids do with the rest of their lives. Check They're out. like yelling at the NRA chief. Like, come, on, come through. Come right. through this court. Advocate. Let's go. So today in the petty. Stacy Dash 2018? <laughs> the fact that you called me and said that Stacy Dash running for Congress is quintessential to our petty segment. It is exactly, <laughs> it is exactly, when we say petty politics, <laughs> Stacy Dash running for office is just like the, the perfect encapsulation of what we wanted it to do is, with this. It just, is. Because what? <laughs> I remember seeing this online and just like shaking my head like vigorously, like you're got to be kidding me. She has gone from clueless to even more clueless. Who, who who is she? I don't even know. I don't know her. Uh, well, I know she was on Clueless collecting them BET checks, but all of a sudden now she doesn't like her people. So Stacey Dash, if you don't know who she is, good, is a black adjacent <laughs> um, actress. She starred in Clueless in just, the just 1990s. Think, yeah, think I'm Amorosa. Think I'm Ben Carson, kind of. Less so. <laughs> like even less think, black, think, I feel. Yeah, even less, right? Think I, I'm trying to think of a good person. Um, Not Uncle Tom, but... Mm. Um, <laughs> Uh, Auntie, Aunt, Auntie Tom, Tomisha. Uh, have y'all seen Django? Think, think of that one. <laughs> Yikes. So Stacey Dash has been in and out of the political circuit over the past couple of years. She's been on Fox News giving commentary on black issues as their resident black correspondent, I suppose, um, and is now thinking of running for office. She put out a couple of tweets saying that she now wants to be able to give back to her community, that community being the 44th district of Los Angeles, which is a heavily <laughs> democratic stand, uh, stronghold. Really liberal. This is L.A. Like, weed is being Suburbs, sold like, and legally. Okay, Stacey Dash? We, we know you don't like weed, but it's being sold legally right now in L.A. So, so that is what we're going to be expecting. Um, good luck to folks who are in L.A. We actually don't know if it's going Just to be her vote. running in 2018 or in 2020, but it's pretty clear that whoever she's going to be running up against is going to have to 
remind people who she is before they give some actual legitimate policy responses to the things that she wants to have done. Because, <laughs> like, what would her platform be? Even? I don't like, know. I, I really don't. I, I'm just going to appreciate Trevor Noah's comments when he said that Stacey Dash is running for Congress just so that she can get on Big Brother with her sister Amarosa. Uh, <laughs> trying to get so, that book deal. Yeah, that's exactly what she, exactly, Hope Hicks, uh, that's exactly what she's doing. there, And that's so crazy that this is what's happening with modern day politics people are getting into administrations and becoming celebrities though exactly every celebrity is like yeah I mean, I think it's a populist explosion. Yeah. It's a populist explosion. We can get into that later. And we talked about this when we did the segment on Oprah Winfrey and whether or not, yeah, she should run for president, whether or not she's qualified. And let's not, like, forget that California is a bastion for celebrity politicians. Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, Ronald Reagan was was an actor at some point. So it's not that, I guess, uncommon for actors to want to take on political stances, but... What? Like, why? Like, what are you... Whatever. Well, let's just wait and see what actually comes out. I'm sure she'll be giving some policy statements and probably developing a cute slogan that we can then make fun of. Uh, So I expect (laughs) that she'll probably actually be something that we talk about more and more. She was such a cute girl. It's a shame. Let's talk a little bit about our good President Obama. Hashtag... Where are the Obamas? Uh, I, I was going to say, like, uh, what is it like nothing but respect for my president? But that's also not necessarily true because he's done some really, like, problematic Yeah, some problematic. But gonna... Obama's living his best life after leaving the administration. He's working on his All new presidential library and presidential center. And he and Michelle are out taking cute photos and living their best life and mm-hmm. just, you know, like. The the kids are twerking on the Internet. It's all good. It's all good. Like, I'm just very <laughs> fascinated by the post-presidential life of a black family. You know what I mean? Like, this is the first time we're seeing black folks be post-presidential and live their, their life after the fact. And do it well. And I'm just yeah. sure, like, I'm sure they're just having the, the best time just, like, hanging out and just being just like, hey, yeah, y'all remember me? Like, you haven't <laughs> seen me in a minute. Like, they gave they gave Trump a pretty good, solid year before they came back into this, the spotlight. They did. Shout out also to Michelle Obama. Okay. Whose new book, Becoming, will be coming out in oh November. God. I don't I know will, if you heard about I this. Am, yes, no, I am ordering. The memoirs? Ordering. Hello. Will be real. I hope she talks some crap about... Obama too, like you, know, you like think so? I I hope well, she just be like you know this. Barack just no, he snores no, no because like. it would kind of target this <laughs> this I mean no I don't think so I don't think that she's gonna come out and say anything embarrassing especially since Obama just made the comment that at least his administration didn't have anything embarrassing going on so he was around yes. <laughs> he so was- at, at MIT um, at a Sloan Sports Analytics conference last week apparently Obama was taking several jabs at President Trump the main one being my administration did not have any embarrassing scandals. Yeah, like you've been going all off <laughs> on the Trump administration subliminally uh-huh. in these commentaries that he's been making. He also said during this interview that he thinks it's a low bar for embarrassing events and scandals in the White House. Like it's just not very much you ha- you need to do. At this point, and everyone's gone from the original campaign team and everyone's leaving. I mean, we just went through four communications directors. Right. Like all you got to do really is like act right. You know, like like if you're in political territory, of course, there's going to be disagreement. But that isn't scandal. That's how politics works. But like when Trump is tweeting at 6 a.m. every morning, something else that's wildin'. Arguing with, look, I saw that. I think that was in response to Hope Hicks. So it's just like every single time 
that, uh, yeah, that just, he gets on Twitter. It's yeah, another scandal. It's, and another, it's another embarrassment. Scandal and, and, and embarrassment, not just in the United States, but on a global stage. Like you said, what are these international actors thinking when they wake up and see Trump questioning whether or not the U.S. has due process? Right, <laughs> like, right. So I think Obama's recognizing that he was able to successfully go eight years without any personal scandal, right? There weren't any, you know, Monica Lewinsky-ish issues or, you know, Stormy Daniels issues in his administration. That could also just be that they're good at keeping their, their mouths shut and keeping their scandals to themselves. Because, you know, like like when you're in the black community, you talk about your issues, but in your community. You don't let you don't let the dirty laundry out. You know what I mean? So it might just be that Obama and Michelle know what they're doing. Exactly. You know what I mean? They keep their laundry in the hamper. Their level they don't put of it on keeping Twitter. it... In the no. hamper is, <laughs> I think that they their level of keeping it in the hamper is on Beyonce and Jay Z. So they got mm. they got like Carter's type of secrecy, mm. right? Because we still don't know why Solange was up in that elevator whooping, you know what? I mean, we feel like <laughs> come on, four forty four and lemonade. No, 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 we no speculation, speculation. I no. feel like <laughs> that's why I, the actual story of what happened at that specific event at that gala they were at. And that's, why, good. and that's why I think that this memoir might actually have some of that tea because no. what else? They're not putting out an album. No, she's Michelle's not, not coming out with an album. She's not spilling any tea. Th- I feel like not this is going to be her lemonade. You think? Oh, Obama didn't do anything to cause no lemonade. How do you know this? Because I know I, I know have this. faith Rumor in Rumor and this. speculation. I, okay. She's okay. going to start out with Pray You Catch Me. It's going to have some <laughs> Beyonce lyrics for the foreword. It's going to end with Sandcastle. You know? She's <laughs> never walked away. So I, was, yes, I was sitting here sis. listening to Lemonade, and I was just thinking, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I want some Beyonce references, <laughs> too, okay? I feel like she would totally do it. I think she really would, because their playlists have been popping, too, and they'll always have something from Beyonce. So. Okay. I feel like she shouldn't spill tea. I want the first black presidential administration not to be riddled with scandals, not to be up in the mix. I want them to stay clean and pure. Like, I love them. Like, I need them to stay. Like, I need them to keep the standard that they've kept. That's right. I mean, I'm, I imagine that they will. Like, I hope that there is more kind of depth to their conversation. Like, I want to know the vulnerability that they experience being in the White House. Because I'm okay, sure... That's, now, that's something that I would like to hear yeah. about. And I would maybe even want to know it from the lens of Malia and Sasha. I mm-hmm. think that that's important. Or even right. uh, she talking about how this presidential administration shaped her ability to be a mom. Right. You know, like she's Raven doing daughters. all this stuff. How, exactly how being a first lady would probably be contravened to being a mother. Yeah, putting okay. it all in conflict for sure. Well, shout out to Obama. He's been acting a fool over the past couple of, of weeks on Instagram yes. and on Twitter yes. and everywhere else. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing more of post- presidential Obama out here. Uh, hey, um, for example, in two months when we graduate, we're definitely looking well, forward to seeing you. You could come through, Michelle. Please, no, please both. Please both. Ooh. Please both. Primarily Michelle, though. Especially because you're a former member of my journal. I'd be like, hey, like yeah. we have a spot like for you. I feel like we're connected. You know what? She could release a foreword in our journal. But <gasps> hey, you want to write something real quick? You are so... Listen. Let me hop, no, let me hop on this let email. Let go. Hop on this email thread. <laughs> Alrighty, y'all. It has been another episode of Petty Politics. Thank you so much for listening. We have a lot of things coming down the pipeline soon, so please be on the lookout. So much. I'm so excited. Tell them what we got. So one thing that we want to flag for you 
is that we are planning to do a AMA, or Ask Me Anything, as they do on Reddit. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be doing it on a website called amafeed.com. They allow for a bunch of different AMAs to be done on issues of fashion, arts, education, and also politics, which is something that we want to talk about. So we're going to be working on an AMA talking about racial justice in the Trump era, and we'd love for you to participate by sending us some questions about Donald Trump, about racial justice in this country, about how we talk about and think about and live lives of blackness. Yeah, about us. The president, about, right? Yes, about life. And, about life. And so hopefully that'll be a way for us to communicate with you and also will lead to more opportunities for us to provide commentary in written form on top of us, you know, spewing off from the mouth every week on this <laughs> podcast. Which we love doing. Of course, of course. We, we would do both. So we'd love to talk with you more about law school admissions stuff. We have folks who we've been giving support to who have nailed their interviews with Harvard and other organizations. Brie herself has a little uh, protege that she's working with on trying to get into Yay! law school, which is Shout cute. out to Sashi. I love you. <laughs> so we're just really excited to have you guys working with us and you know supporting this project and hopefully we're providing you with meaningful content please continue to send us emails about questions you might have about the law school admissions process things that you think we haven't talked about or we can go back to some of the issues we've talked about there's always more to talk about with personal statements mm -hmm. diversity statements outside of gpa all of it so feel free to send us emails our email address is harvard bolsa petty politics harvard spelled normally bolsa blsa pettypolitics at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from y'all. Talk to you next time. All right. Take care, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> Are you done? Yeah. Are you done? Why, why are you running? Because why are you, you're attacking me. Why are you me? running? Because you're attacking me. <laughs> so funny. Okay. <laughs> Mbaku.